Welcome to YesPHX Presents, a 48 Startup production. In this series, the YesPHX community comes together to promote, build, and highlight small business and startups in the greater Phoenix area. Catch the full series on iTunes or YesPHX.com, and be sure to catch the pop-up podcasts at Basecamp at Phoenix Startup Week, February 19th through 23rd. Welcome to YesPHX Presents. Today's episode is on the Generous Hour. We will be bringing you individuals from the Greater Phoenix business community who have provided valuable help and inspiration, demonstrated generosity, and supported many local startups. They will share with us their local efforts, business insights, and favorite tips. I'm Megan Domena, and I'll be co-hosting this episode with Heather Lee of Purple CRM. So today we have with us um, two amazing women, Francine Hardaway, co-founder of Stealth Mode Partners and coach of entrepreneurs, especially badass women, and Pam Slem, author, business coach, and founder of the Downtown Mesa Small Business Learning Lab Care. Francine, do you want to introduce yourself a little more? Um, sure. 20 years ago, I had sold my company to Intel and I was miserable inside Intel. So I came out and I wanted to help other entrepreneurs succeed. So I started with Ed Nussbaum, a wonderful guy, Stealth Mode Partners, and we've been coaching entrepreneurs ever since. And we've got lots of different ways that we do it, groups and singly and it's the best part of my life. I love it. That's fantastic. I can't wait to dive more into that. Pam Slim, what about you? Yeah, it's funny. I was remembering when I first came into the Phoenix metro area, probably 14 years ago, Francine was one of the first people I met. So it's neat to have this full circle of knowing she's been so connected for so long and supportive, including me as somebody who moved new here from California. Um, I've been in business for about 22 years. And the first 10 years was as a consultant to large companies. I am from the Bay Area, and so I started in Silicon Valley, loved working with people on the the human side of business, um, consulting for large companies. And then through that exploration, especially in the last couple of years of that consulting, I found a lot of people who were eager to leave corporate and were really curious about how to do it. So I founded the Escape from Cubicle Nation blog in 2005 right after I moved here uh, to Mesa, Arizona, and then have spent about the past 13 years working with a lot of folks, uh, initially in early stage startup, and then in later days doing helping companies scale and grow. And then in September of 2016, we opened a small business learning laboratory in downtown Mesa, which has been another really awesome and exciting part of the journey. That's fantastic. I love care. So I have a question for you guys. Um, So both of you can jump, either of you can jump in. Can you tell us some of the local business events or causes that you have been a part of? Oh, I've I've been a part of just about everything because my goal when I started Stealth Mode was to create an entrepreneurial ecosystem that my own children wouldn't leave. Of course, it's too late. They're in London and Half Moon Bay. But the ecosystem is really taking off. So I brought the Arizona, uh, I brought the social media club to Phoenix. 
I brought a whole bunch of uh, events. I held an entrepreneurship conference for eight years, and I brought VCs to Phoenix. I all, all I was trying to do was get Phoenix on the outside radar. And I've been part of Yes Phoenix, and I've been part of Phoenix Startup Week. And anytime anyone asks me to be part of something, I say yes, because I find there's so much value in everything. And it's interesting because for me, the first place that I connected probably with you, Francine, and also with you, Heather, was at Gangplank in Chandler. And when I first came, I was really looking for community. It's funny because a lot of the years of the business when I've done the the startup coaching and consulting, I had little kids. So my kids were really little and I was focused on growing the business. And I really didn't engage that much in live events. It was a matter of often if I wasn't, you know, traveling and speaking or doing work, then I was I was at home with my kids. And so it's really been energizing in this last, you know, year or so to really get reconnected with what has been happening. And I've really focused a lot in Mesa because that's a big focus of what it is that I'm wanting to do, Francine, based on what you're saying, to really identify and help support and grow the ecosystem of folks here. So I've been connecting with organizations like the East Valley Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, um, a lot of the connection groups with Creative Catalyst, with the Mesa Arts Center. There are a lot of really amazing creative entrepreneurs here. Um, the American Indian Chamber of Commerce, really looking at connecting with folks. And the other thing that I've done that's been really energizing, Francine has been a partner, right, in having us host here events and classes and workshops from other people. So being a space where we have Startup Life Support is a great group run by Aisha Cogburn. That's the third uh, Thursday of the month. Uh, Francine um, and, and Phil ran a what, 10-week program, Francine? Yeah, we ran a 10-week entrepreneurial education program, and we ran it out of K because it's such a great space to do that in. And we lost our grant funding for this year, but we are praying we will get it back for next year. And I am very impressed with Mesa and what's going on in Mesa. And I mm -hmm. think we need to support Mesa, and I'm perfectly willing to drive out there, even though I live in Phoenix, because I, I think it's such a great environment. I agree. I think there's, a, you know, I, I tease sometimes that we're like the cousin that has to sit at the kids table at uh, Thanksgiving, <laughs> because a lot of people don't really understand what's going on here. And it's, it, I was the same. I live in East Mesa in, in the suburbs. And so I really wasn't familiar with what it is that's happening downtown. And what I love about it is that it has a little bit more of a relaxed pace. When we talk about small business, it's such a gigantic sector. You know, it's 53% of the U.S. non-farm GDP. So it's a huge amount of businesses. And I find, either fairly or unfairly, that a lot of the focus that I find sometimes for local um, events and efforts that are supporting startups is where everybody is kind of aiming and targeting for getting VC funding and, you know, going on that path of getting investment and really growing and scaling quickly. And then it, what it does is leave out this huge amount of businesses where people may not ever have the intention of doing that. And that's everything from the smaller brick and mortar stores like the cookie store next door, Smithalator, to folks who are creative, you know, solopreneurs or people that have small agencies. So there's totally. really a lot of interesting things happening, you know? Totally. And that's really where society is headed. I mean, I, I hate to get into the real meta, 
but you're you're totally you're right, Pam, because what is going to happen is jobs are going away, which means that a lot of these businesses that used to be known as big businesses are going to be smaller businesses. And a lot of people are going to have to start their own smaller businesses, you know, in, in order to support themselves. So I'm feeling I used to do tech consulting only. And now I'm feeling that I want to do more of everything. And actually, the group I ran in Mesa made me feel like that. I want to do more of everything because entrepreneurship is resiliency skills. And it teaches you how to survive without any kind of big daddy. So it's a skill that almost everyone needs to have. Absolutely. So, so along those lines, what, what is the most common problem you see in startups? What advice would you give those who may experience some of these growing pains? Well, we, it's interesting because um, Susan Beyer from Audience Access and Chris Lee, Heather's husband, um, and I did a huge research study this, this past fall um, that was for local folks and also uh, over 2,000 business owners responded from all over North America. And uh, I know, Francine, from your own hands-on experience and research, it's probably going to be no shock, but we gathered all kinds of data. Um, the survey was really about attitudes toward obstacles that small business owners face. And so we did some distinct, um, never before done research around attitudinal segments that people have when they face a challenge. Um, the number one challenge that came up from the research was getting more clients. And what's funny about that is sometimes that's the case where it's the default response that everybody feels is, I just need more clients, I need more clients. Sometimes that's not really the issue. Sometimes people have a lot more depth and possibility to be uh, broadening the engagement that they have with current clients. Sometimes they need to fix operational problems, but that's definitely one for most businesses starting and growing that they're looking to. The other kind of top issues that we found were around cash flow, and it was really fascinating in the data. I think it was about 85% of respondents reported that they did not have a consistent um idea of what their income were going to be from month to month. And this was not just brand new business owners. These were people across the spectrum of having business, been in business for a really long time. So that's astounding to me because there are many embedded sub-issues related to why it is that you would have unpredictable cash flow from month to month as a business owner. Well, that's um, right. I, think, I had yeah. it for 20 years when I owned my business. So I understand now what those issues are. I really didn't understand what they were at the time. But, you know, I, I think we are all going to have to face unpredictable income. And when I work with, with startup businesses, the first thing I ask them is, how do you know there's a market? You know, be, because some of this thing of, oh, we need more customers means that you don't really have a big enough market to support yourself. Yes. And, you know, uh, again, I mentor all over the place and I'm constantly mentoring people who have not even Googled their competition. You know, and they have no clue who their competition even is. And they, if they, they often have unrealistic expectations of what defines a competitor. 
because they often don't understand that inertia is a competitor. You know, I was doing nothing about this before and I'll continue to do nothing about it now. And for some of the retail businesses, getting more customers ain't going to happen. So there's a lot of, a lot of huge issues. So when you guys started your businesses, what was one of the best pieces of advice that you received? I think for me, I, when I started consulting, uh, I had left my corporate job and was doing consulting. And one of my friends was, had been a consultant at uh, Barclays Global Investors, which is where I'd worked um, as an employee before. And I remember I had been negotiating for you know, pricing for fees and so forth for consulting. Um, and her name is Mary Jo Potter. She had been a consultant for a really long time. And she said, when negotiating, make sure that you're really charging what the market will bear, especially in relation to your male colleagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you are undercharging, then you really get, can erode some brand credibility. The second part of her advice was very significant for me as somebody who's not necessarily totally driven just by money. Um, At the time, I was really engaged in community. I was the volunteer executive director of a a capoeira group, an Afro-Brazilian martial art group working with a lot of youth. And she said, you know what, you can choose to like give your money away the way that you want. (laughs) You know, so if like it wasn't that I woke up in the morning saying I want to make a million dollars this year. But the way I thought about it is the more money that I'm able to make providing great, solid services and to get the appropriate value for what it is that I was delivering, the more money that I had to work with to be investing strategically in ways that I wanted. And this made a really big difference to me because again, uh, we get so many different pieces of advice in business. And to me, part of what can help you discern um, what advice is really relevant to you is based on who you are as a person, what your specific values are. And I think there really are some tried and true um, guidelines and rules, such as if you're really massively undercharging for no good reason what the market will bear, then it's really not doing yourself a favor or the market any favor. But I also don't fall into that path of saying we all have to operate the same way. I tend to personally look a lot and and value and judge the work that I do in relation to what is that kind of collective value that can be created? What's the value that my clients create in their own life? In fact, I would love to find a way to have a metric where we can say through the work that we do, what additional value is created? So it's not just what's in my bank account at the end of the year, but it's really the impact and the value of the work itself through the ecosystem of people that we work with. So I have... Um... Uh, had a, he's now just passed, mentor who told me two things that I've never forgotten. One of them is if someone asks you, just say yes. And the other one is deals are like streetcars. And if you miss one, another one comes along. And I've lived by those (laughs) principles all my life. Like there's always more where that came from if you just keep saying yes. And interestingly enough, Pam, I have a completely different pricing strategy than the than the one that was given to you. My pricing strategy is 
you pay me what you are comfortable investing in our relationship because this is not transactional for me. It's relational. And so rather than be, you know, the rapist who comes in and goes out, I am the person who sticks around for a long time and is always there when you need them. And so I built all of my businesses on clients who paid me what might be considered small sums of money, but I haven't starved and they keep adding up. And I'm now into the part in my life where I have the children of clients of mine coming to me. So, I mean, that's like the greatest testimonial about being relational in your business dealings. It's so interesting because, I mean, there's so many layers to the conversation. I'm com- I completely agree with you that, that for me it's about having resonance with clients. One of the things I always talk about in working with folks is making sure, if it's an individual that's investing in coaching, for example, that making the investment in no way is going to cause – any kind of harm or hardship, they're not choosing between their mortgage, right? And, you know, and and working with me, it has to be something that they're really able to invest in. I think a lot of it can depend on how it is that you structure time, what resources you have available. I know for the nature of the work that I do, um, that not having, how, how do I say this? Like there's different ways, obviously for investments that we've made here of having this space, for most of the groups that use the space, there's no charge, right? Like the the money that I make through the services that I provide is just goes toward the space and that where community members are coming in and using it, then that's a way that we can extend that outreach, right? For folks who might not have it. But there's there are interesting things depending upon the nature of the business that you're in um, that sometimes having a really clear sense about who would be core clients which for them, as you're saying, Francine, you know, it, what it is that you're charging, what it is that your services cost is an investment that makes sense for them in their business. They can get a strong return. It's not causing hardship. And it's something that works for you can be a way that you can carve out the time and energy that you spend focusing on the business, you know. And so it's, it, it, I totally relate conceptually to what you talk about. And I have a very similar kind of connection with a lot of folks over time. Um, and looking into many different types of businesses, that's not something that would necessarily work for every business, right? Kind of depending upon the size and scope of, of the services. So I don't know, thinking about for your role as an advisor, how have you seen that play out in different ways, you know, like in different businesses and price points? Me, well, as an advisor, I put some people who are in larger businesses on a monthly um let's not call it a retainer because a retainer means I bill against it, but a budget. So let's just say this is a project like bringing a new product to market. That realistically is a year long project. You Mm -hmm. don't just launch, you know, you have to, you have to keep on launching and launching and launching, so to speak. So, so you, you, I usually put people on like a two to three thousand um, dollar monthly, um, as I say, stipend, and mm. then I just work to get everything I can done 
without providing any budgetary surprises after that monthly fee. And I've had clients under those conditions for five years. On the other hand, with some of my women's coaching clients, I am thinking it's $150 an hour and you, the client, are making your budget because when you can't pay, you don't schedule. So those are two different ways. What I don't do anymore, because I did it until I almost cried, um, is bill by the hour. I used to bill by the hour when I started my um, agency business. And I, I felt like, I, I just felt like I was in one of these things where I had to justify every minute of every day of my value. And that blew. I hated it. It's billing like a lawyer, isn't it? I, what is it? Like 13 minute increments, I think. Yes, is, and I was billing like a lawyer. In fact, I was using, I was using lawyer <laughs> software to bill. And, and that was what and I was like, you know, this is so not part of my character. So... I decided when I sold my business to Intel and I came out and started stealth mode that I would never bill by the hour. And the women coaching has made me have to do it because you can't just, you know, you can't, if someone wants to meet with you twice, you know, you can't just say, uh, this is your monthly stipend. So I've had to reconsider and go back to billing by the hour for those, but that's about it. And I still hate it. Interesting. <laughs> I feel you. Well, we've talked about different spaces and coaching sessions, um, but where can you go to get the help you need as an entrepreneur? I mean, I'm sure there's many places for different organizations, but what, what would you ladies suggest? You know, as a meta principle, um, here's what's interesting. One of the things, the projects that we're working on here downtown Mesa is actually something I saw when I did a um, community tour of, in 25 different cities around the U.S. a couple of years ago teaching community building skills. And it was in a co-working space in Charlotte, I think, that I saw there was this really cool infographic poster that had a list of all the different resources that were available locally and just some categories, right? Kind of like putting dots of in terms of what it is that that was provided. Because if anything I've learned in this last year of, of meeting with probably anybody who cares to talk to me <laughs> on the street in Mesa is that there are many resources and many people who have been here a long time have no idea that that other resources exist. I actually didn't know until I had a conversation with the good folks at the SBDC, the Small Business Development Corporation, um, that are here local as part of the uh, the SBA, is that they have all kinds of free coaching, consulting. They have amazing resources available if you're wanting to do research. And here I've been, you know, in this space for so many years here locally, and I had no idea. So where it's a great thing to do if you want to be proactive and you are somebody who is more of a connector and a networker to be creating a list of resources. And that's part of what we're doing here in Mesa. And then eventually to turn it into something like an infographic, the vision that I have is where 
we can have the resources available. So at any point in entry, if somebody walks in our space here, if they go this, to the city of Mesa and they're registering their business name, if they go to SCORE to get some volunteer help, et cetera, that people in all of those organizations can say, all right, and, and now how are you getting access to figure out, you know, where you can find a good lawyer or where you might get, you know, information about uh, loans available or things like that. So I think we can all be resources. The meta principle is that where that list doesn't exist, the best thing to do is to find the person who is the most connected. So Francine is an example of somebody who knows everybody and has seen everything in the Valley. And so somebody like her can really help um, share what the available resources are. And, and I would just always open your eyes to think about resources in terms of governmental support and resources where you can just go to your local city and, and look under support for businesses. You look at nonprofits, you know, things like the small business association score, things like that. And then look, depending upon your area of, um, of industry, do some Google searches, you know, that could be around, you know, engineer, engineering support in, you know, Phoenix or uh, support for, for creative entrepreneurs in Mesa. And that's where you can start to find some of these subgroups that are really going to be helpful. Anything, anything you want to add there at all, Francine? Yes. I would like to say that at least the city of Phoenix has huge technical assistance for small businesses that nobody else takes advantage of. And most of, most of the other cities have that as well. Um, and the problem is that no one even knows about it. So I would say that anyone who's looking for resources should at least, at de minimis, contact the economic development people in whatever city that you live in and see what resources they have for small business. Because it used to be that those economic development people were all focused on luring large companies into town. And now they've discovered something new. It's called farming, which means growing your own businesses. So now they're much more likely to help. And, um, uh, the state of Arizona Commerce Authority is also a resource. And the co-working spaces, the accelerators, um, they all actually have people that they work with, some of them more completely than others. Uh, you know, Galvanize, I think, has a pretty good list of resources. Cahoots has a good list of resources. Um, I'm not sure about Gangplank anymore. It used to. So, so there really is a lot available that people do not pay enough attention to, and then they yell about how there's nothing here. Um, also, Yes Phoenix, the Yes Phoenix group, and the Yes Phoenix Slack channel. The Yes Phoenix Slack channel has a big asks uh, sub-channel for it, you know? And you can ask anything, and people on that, on that Slack channel are constantly giving each other help with resources. You've, thank you both. You've given great resources just in that short amount of time. Um, I'm just curious because you mentioned Slack and things like that. How have you seen the the generous culture of um, entrepreneurs in the Valley? How have you seen that evolve over the, the last few years? 
Uh, I think that the startup AZ movement, um, which has sort of morphed into the Startup AZ Foundation, decided when it got underway in the last few years, I forgot how many now, three maybe, um, decided that what was going to distinguish Phoenix is generosity, that we were going to be the most generous entrepreneurial community. And everybody that I know who worked on that has kind of internalized it. And so I think we have actually... um, we have actually developed a, a, a real uh, generous community spirit and a spirit of generosity. I don't pay as much attention to the Facebook group as to the Slack channel, but on the Slack channel, very helpful people. Yeah. And as I said, you know, I, I feel like I've just been kind of dancing around the edges of um, of the local community, which has always been really supportive when when I have connected one of the things that's been interesting in in Mesa is that I really have noticed as I've connected with people here and, and made a really conscious effort the, f- the first year, I, I call it the principle of listen first, where I didn't want to just show up on the street unknown as I was, not having done engagement with a community before without really connecting with people here to find out already what it is that was going on. So I just you know spent lots of time talking to people inviting them in, going and visiting them to find out what they were doing. And to a person, I did not find one person here who was resistant, who was kind of cynical. And it's normal and natural, especially for a lot of people down here who have been doing work for such a long time that people should be sometimes, right? Have their eyes open a little bit when a newcomer comes on the block, you know, wanting to help. And I just found it was so refreshing in that everybody I talked to was really excited about collaborating, was excited about doing new things together. People were super encouraging. And I like to think that's the spirit that we need. I think it is the entrepreneurial spirit of really getting used to knowing that it's impossible to have all the answers yourself. It's impossible to be solving all the problems that your clients have within your own area of expertise. And so a lot of what it is that we need to do is to be cultivating and really developing a great supportive ecosystem. Um, so however it is that, that that started, you know, I think that it's something we want to to actively encourage. And it, and it really has been wonderful to see what's going on down here in, in downtown Mesa. So in line with, with that, the generosity and support that you're seeing within our community, do you have a favorite Phoenix business event that ties into that or that you witness that at? Francine, you're, you're the event. Well, <laughs> and the reason I'm having a hard time responding is that we just have so many mm-hmm. events now. And, you know, like I keep sort of rotating the ones I go to. Like currently I'm going to girls in tech and startup grind, but you know, those are not necessarily the best. They just happen to be the ones that I'm going to right now. The problem for small businesses is, and you know, I run a woman's entrepreneur happy hour the first Monday of every month at the Henry. And I run a Phoenix entrepreneurs 
uh, roundtable on the third Thursday of every month at the DeSoto Market. And I purposely run them as very open networking experiences. But I find that there's so much networking going on that if you actually have a business, you find it hard to work on your business because you're always busy networking. Yeah. Yeah. Francine, how do you do everything that you do? <laughs> well, and that's the issue. You know, this is a lot of what I do. <laughs> you know, it's like what I do is I organize these things that bring the community together and I organize them as loosely as I can so that people don't feel compelled to join or go every time or whatever. But, you know, you can show up and get help because I'm there and my other co-founders of the Women Entrepreneurs Happy Hour are there for that. Or Phil Blackerby is there for the Phoenix Entrepreneurship Roundtable. So, you know, it's like help on demand rather than scheduled events. Yeah, and I, I really agree. I, I really think... Strategically, often the advice that I give for for entrepreneurs, whether they're they're starting a business or, or growing and scaling a business, is to be really intentional about what kind of community and connection that they want to make. So if you're just starting and you're getting your feet wet, it is about often being in a place where you have other people who might be a couple steps ahead that are you know helpful. And for that, I know when I first came here, places like Gangplank. Um, and I know cahoots and, you know, other spaces are really wonderful for that, where there's just, you know, people that you can connect with, events that tend to come um, at those places are, are very targeted in in kind of helping people grow. Yes, and they're because, intentional also. You're right, Pam. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's re really intentional. And, and, and the people that you might meet, if you happen to be also hanging out and doing work at those spaces, that when you're going to events and learning things, then you're also connecting with a community that really strengthens that. So that, that can be good at the early stage. When it can get to later stages where you've been in business and really what your job now is to is to be greatly expanding your networks um, is that's where I, I recommend being the weirdo in the room and really looking for places that are very different from the normal places where you go. I think all of us understandably love to go to places where everybody knows us, where you know we, where our expertise is well defined, where we feel welcome and and part part of things. That's a really wonderful kind of feeling to have. It also can be very, very stagnating where you're just looking for places where people already know you. And being the weirdo in the room can be everything from, you know, being a business coach and going and hanging out with a, you know, association of software engineers where you may be the only business coach in the room, which by the way, if you like that audience, that's a very great thing <laughs> where they're all talking about what their issues are and you're one person there who could help them maybe work on things related to the business, for example. Um, but it's also in getting us out of our very stagnant, troubling circles of sameness and privilege and not connecting with people that come from different backgrounds and different communities. And I find that's a real problem and one that we've very specifically been working on here in Mesa is making sure that we're, we're hosting events and we're connecting with communities that actually represent the people that live here. And, and that's a challenge that I would throw down if you, you know, are in a room and you look around and just about everybody looks like you and comes from a similar background, time to be the weirdo in the room and spend some time going to other places, listening, 
hanging out and getting to know some other communities. Well, that's right, because I find this is especially true in the tech community. You know, it's basically looking up its own butt. It, they don't hang hang out with people who could be their customers. You know, like if you're at Galvanize and a, no knock on Galvanize for sure, but I guess I guess my point is that every tech entrepreneur hangs out with every other tech entrepreneur, not realizing that their customers are just very often real people. And so they need to go someplace where their customers are. I mean, they're really scared of meeting their customers. And this is how I see, um, this is how I see a lot of entrepreneurs who have no clue what their market is because they just have never talked to customers. And and here's also the the downside of that. I mean, there, there's a time and a place. It can feel great sometimes to go with your colleagues, and that that's it, it's all good to have that as part of the mix. But as as, as you're saying, Francine, if that's where you're spending 90% of your time, what's going to end up happening is everybody is just then standing around comparing themselves to other people. Like, oh my God, you know, that person's more ahead and they have more customers and they got more funding. And it just creates this horrible, really depressing loop that really takes you out of where you should be, which is, as Francine is saying, deeply getting to know and connect with your customers and the actual problems and challenges that they have. It's a more interesting place to live. It's a more robust and relevant place to live in terms of sharing content um, where you're telling the stories of real customers. You know, you're like not just conceptualizing what your product is and selling it to VCs, but you're actually sitting with people at their desk as they're frustrated with your user interface, right? Or trying to get a feature to work. And that will really help you to be more creative in in knowing what to plan and prioritize for fixing something. And also knowing the kinds of stories that are really going to be resonant um, with other potential customers. So it's just, you know, it's human nature that we want to feel comfortable and we want to, you know, be with people who understand us. Really, I think what all of us need to be developing as a society in general, is getting much more comfortable with discomfort. You're not going to die. It's really good for you to begin to, to, to go to some different environments and be the weirdo in the room. Yeah. I mean, I have actually coached people who do, f- f- you know, for argument's sake, real estate software who don't belong to real estate industry groups. I'm like, how can you be developing for the real estate industry? Oh, and another one of these is healthcare. You know, exactly. You've got to get into the industry and find out what the the people need. You guys have given so much valuable information and advice. Um, I have a question, which is, what do you guys have planned next? Well, I am super fired up because the stage that we're we're in right now at the Learning Laboratory is that, um, as I said, we spent the whole first year connecting with community, listening, figuring out, you know, who already was doing great work. And now we are really clear into what our model is, which is to be a learning laboratory where we test and try different solutions to core business problems. I'd mentioned earlier the research project that we did where we we learned the most pressing problems um, that are faced by business owners. We're going to take five problems a year and go through a two-month process, like two months per problem, 
where we are going in and doing a deep analysis about what are all the subcomponents of really defining the problem, and then using both local folks and also a lot of the virtual global um, small business community of having all kinds of people test, try new things, figure out you know new solutions to old problems, and share that with a, with a broader small business community. So in order to do that, I'm working now um, with a lot of the cloud software companies um, in order to get support and sponsorship so that we can we can really get the experiments rolling. And then as that happens through time, um, my excitement is going to be is that we're going to come up with a lot of cool, interesting ideas because we're spending so much time with the people who actually have the problems. Um, and that can be in everything from, you know, new ways we can look at problems interesting products and services that already exist that we can highlight and also where we can be creating maybe some new things that could be new frameworks, new classes, new approaches that our vision is really that will be supportive for everybody who's in the business of supporting other business owners. And those are, you know, places like co-working spaces or incubator programs or cities that, that have small business departments. That is such a great idea, Pam. That is, that is so leaderly, I guess is how, how I would put it. That is real leadership. To- I'm so excited. I, you know, it, it is, it's taken a long time. You know how that is, right? I really, really practice like listening first. And it was funny because, and you experience this Francine coming in, everybody would be like, well, what is this place? You know, is this a traditional incubator where you have a few companies? And I say, no, was well, it a co-working space? No. Is it an event space? No. I kept saying no because I was adamant about not defining what we were because it's so easy to fall into the classic patterns of just being another place that has a bunch of workshops. And I really found that there was a gap in innovation within solutions to small business problems. So we're, we're super excited about it. Uh, it's so good. I mean, I can't tell you how good it is, but of course you already know because you did all the work. <laughs> that means a lot coming but, from you. But that's huge. I have much more modest aims this year. I want to build the woman entrepreneurship community in partnership with the other more structured groups that are doing it because what I want is, well, the best way I can put it is when I first moved to Phoenix, um, I was married to a guy who belonged to Phoenix Country Club, and so thus I was a member at Phoenix Country Club. I was the most out-of-place person. But Phoenix Country Club at the time had a men's grill and a women's lounge, and never the twain should meet. Well, you can imagine <laughs> once I started my business how much that pissed me off because I could see that all the people I wanted for my clients were in the men's grill. And, you know, and I couldn't go in there. And I, I actually infuriated everybody because one day I walked over the threshold of the men's grill and all these men turn around. There was like, you can't come in here. In, in the meantime, of course, they had female staff waiting on them. I was like, what do you mean? My husband's in here. And they were like, well, this is the men's grill. And I was like, I was like, I see. Well, they, they, you know, long story short, they bounced me out of Phoenix Country Club when I started 
being in business because women could not belong if they weren't married. And all my life, I've wanted to have something that was like the men's grill for women. And so this is what I'm hoping the Women Entrepreneurs Happy Hour will be, the men's grill for women, a place where women can do deals the way men used to do them at Phoenix Country Club in a relaxed, casual atmosphere that where they all help each other. And if you're in, you're in. So that's that's my and anyone can come in. That's the point. Oh, and let me tell you one last thing about Phoenix Country Club. Me and another woman named Barbara Van Siddert, we spent the next 30 years desegregating the men's grill, and we finally did. Yes, that is awesome. It was a lifelong thing for both of us. Anyway, that's my that's my intention for this year is growing uh, the woman entrepreneur um, helpful network, whatever you want to call it. Both of what you ladies are working on are it's inspiring. So thank you for all the heavy lifting that you have done and continue to do through the valley. Um, we're just about out of time. Um, so is there anything else that either of you would like to add before we wrap things up? Are you kidding? I've said too much already. I just would love to stay connected with folks. So the, you can find me at PamelaSlim.com is just where I live. So that's where my social channels are to connect there. If you're LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, whatever kind of person you are, the handles are there, as well as jump on the email list. Because as I said, we're really beginning to kick up. Um, a lot of the real action and activity around the learning lab. So if it's something that sounds intriguing to you, let me know, reach out, send me an email, and I'd love to um, to connect because one of the things that we're definitely doing and want to do is to be engaging with people all across the valley and of course all across the country and the world to be participating in a lot of these experiments. So if that's something that gets you excited, please let me know and uh, I welcome the connection. And I am Francine at stealth mode, like stealthbomber.com and I'm at Hardaway on Twitter and Francine Hardaway on Facebook where all my posts are public. So I'm pretty, and you can Google me and I'm, I'm sure my phone number's on Google. I mean, I'm a very public person. Yes, yes. Please do connect with these ladies. Um, it will probably change your life. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and ask one last question because I would love to know what you are currently reading. <laughs> I'm the fire and the fury. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Ah, you're brave. You're brave. That's great. That needs to be on the list. I am uh, just about to listen to, I've, I've suddenly discovered the joy of audiobooks because I can do my morning walks at five and also listening to a great book. So I'm just about to jump into my buddy Dan Pink's new book, When, about the science of timing, which I'm really excited about. I think it just came out today. Oh, I'll put that on my list. I also listen to books. And you'll yeah. die laughing, but I was listening to Walter Isaacson's biography of Leonardo da Vinci, and I was learning mm -hmm. a lot about perspective, and I put it on hold to read Fire and Fury. <laughs> <laughs> That's perspective for you. 
Once again, thank you so much to both of you. We've really enjoyed having you on the show today. Everyone, please connect with Pam Slam and Francine Hardaway and those um, avenues that they gave you. Be sure to catch our next episode, The Non-Founders Who Make It Work. Thanks again and hope to catch you next time here on Yes PHX Presents.